0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1, where we'll read the whole chapter and then listen to our confession in Article 12 of the Belgic Confession. For those guests among us, we most recently considered the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our study of the Belgic Confession. Article 11, the deity of the Holy Spirit, seeing about his procession and his ministry among us. And having done so most recently, we're going to just carry on on this Pentecost Sunday with our study of the Belgic Confession, Article 12, which deals with the creation of all things. But first we'll read from Genesis 1, where we have the record of the creation of all things. Hear the word of God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. There was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good And it was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth." And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Then to our forms and prayers books, to page 164. Page 164 and 165. And the creation of all things. As we find that in article 12. Page 164 and 165. Article 12, we believe that the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing when it seemed good to him, by his word, that is to say, by his Son. He has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions for serving their creator. Even now, he also sustains and governs them all according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power, that they may serve man in order that man may serve God. He also created the angels good, that they might be his messengers and serve his elect. Some of them have fallen from the excellence in which God created them into eternal perdition, and others have persisted and remained in their original state by the grace of God. The devils and evil spirits are so corrupt that they are enemies of God and of everything good. They lie in wait for the church and every member of it like thieves with all their power to destroy and spoil everything by their deceptions. So then, by their own wickedness, they are condemned to everlasting damnation, daily awaiting their torments. For that reason, we detest the error of the Sadducees, who deny that there are spirits and angels, and we also deny the error of the Manichaeans, who say that the devils originated by themselves being evil by nature, without having been corrupt. This the church does believe. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, on this Pentecost Sunday, we take time to think for a moment about something that maybe we don't often think about in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but ought to indeed understand concerning his work within the world in which we live. We've already touched on it or begun to touch on it, as we noted when we read the law and we were reminded uh, that the lord renews us the way that he renews creation we sang that in psalm 104 and that the spirit the holy spirit works that renewing power in such a way that that he takes what is dead and makes it alive he takes that which is without life and that suddenly has life itself if we had read a little farther in genesis chapter 2 we would have read the story of Man's creation and God's breathing the breath of life, we might say the spirit of life, into man so that this lifeless clay creature suddenly became a living soul, as the scripture says. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings to fruition. He brings to fullness the life that God has made. Indeed, the work of the Holy Spirit is the work by which we are made more fully human, where the creation is made more fully glorifying to God, where things are working the way that they are intended. That is the purpose, of course, of redemption. God came to redeem, not to restart, not to start from scratch, but to take the world that had fallen into sin and make it again good, even as it was good in the beginning. And so the Holy Spirit comes, He comes Over the face of the earth, he comes into the hearts of those who believe. He comes to renew this world, to make it more fully what it is intended to be, to make us more fully who we are intended to be, to make us more fully human. But to understand that, we need to understand the work of God in creation. To understand where the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us, we need to understand where we began. And to understand that, we need to understand the creation of our world. And the Belgic Confession does a, an admirable job of explaining to us what it means that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And in this article of the Belgic Confession, there are some very lovely nuggets of theological gold. It speaks uh, to us of creation ex nihilo. We believe that God created or the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing. That's what ex nihilo, that's a Latin phrase that refers to God's having created all things out of nothing. There's a half an hour, an hour. There's a a time we could spend thinking about that simple fact. But he goes on to say that not only did he make it out of nothing when it seemed good to him by his word, he did that by his Son. Jesus Christ is involved in the creation of heaven and earth. You cannot understand reality until you understand something of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But more than that, it says that God has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions for serving their Creator. Maybe you notice that when we read, especially through the trees and the plants and the animals, the scripture says to us that he creates them after their kind, bearing seed in their, in their fruit according to their kind. That is a reminder that things do exactly what God wants them to do. That apple trees bear apples, orange trees bear orange, oranges, bears are growled, dogs are, are, are pets. This sort of thing that creation does exactly what god wanted it to do here is by the way I an mean, profound antidote to so we could spend another we could spend the rest of our time on that alone i mean think about the transgender debate and what this says about the way god created heaven and earth there's an antidote to your modern culture and its problems god creates things in a particular way to perform a particular function to fulfill a particular task There's a world of theology in these brief paragraphs, in these nuggets of gold. And we've seen, as we have so often in the Heidelberg Catechism, what it goes on to say when he talks about how God sustains and governs, according to his eternal providence, all of creation and all of time. There's such a comfort to be had there uh, as we consider what it means to live within the world of God. But for all of that, what I want us to spend our next few moments thinking about is the next phrase. The one that says that God sustains and governs all things in order that man or that all things may serve man so that man may serve God. That these things may serve man, that the creation exists to serve man so that man can serve God. God. Now, in that simple statement, you already push against a particular portion of our culture, that portion that we might describe as being animal rights activists, PETA, that sort of thing. Those people, lovely in, them, in themselves, passionate and, and, and zealous for the preservation of creation without question, have elevated the, the purpose of creation to the point where it exists for its own sake, where everything has its own independent value and that creation or man as a creature has no significant value within the world. We are no better than some bird that's being hatched somewhere, some some creature that is that is under under the threat of extinction. The world in which we live, a portion of the culture in which we live, sees all things as having its own value, not as having a value that serves man. Creation doesn't serve man in the minds of many within our world. And principally because they don't believe man exists to serve God. Now don't misunderstand, this also pushes against those elements of our community of our culture of our society that that value the robber barren economic processes and systems those men those individuals those persons who see creation as only there to be exploited as only there to be taken to be making me rich to make me what i want it to be both of these extremes both of these polar opposites are rejected by the confession of faith by the believer who understands what God has done, as we've read it in Genesis 1. Both of these positions are flawed and broken, capturing an element of what God has revealed, but not capturing it all. Now, the Christian alone knows that the creation exists for the purpose of serving man, so that man can serve God. Now, there is an enormous amount of theology that exists behind those words. Guido de Brad, the author of this confession, has understood what we read in Genesis 1 when we came to the very end of that chapter, where the culmination, the the, the height of God's creative power is revealed in the making of man in his own image. The, the story slows down, doesn't it? There's a rhythm to Genesis 1, God says let there be light, there was light and it was good and on and on we go and suddenly we get to the sixth day and everything slows right down. Many words are written about the sixth day and especially about the creation of man in the image of God. Man is the culmination of God's purposes. Man is the fulfillment of his plan for this earth. God has made man to be an image bearer, to be a child. We can think of an image bearer in many respects we can think of an image bearer as being righteous and holy and knowing God but we can also more simply understand that an image bearer is someone who reflects their heavenly father someone who looks like sounds like acts like thinks like speaks like their heavenly father man is that image bearer upon the earth he is created for the purpose of representing the father father As vice regent as prime minister you might say god is king but man is the prime minister of of the earth and his responsibility is to lead all of creation in service and in the glory of god it's a great responsibility god gave to man in the beginning to men and to women to both men and women god said now go and have dominion over the face of the earth and and multiply and fill it bring it all to the praise of my name here is a, a view of history here is a view of life that is distinct and unique to the believer to the Christian we've always seen life as progressing along a linear scale we don't think like the Buddhists do or Eastern religions do that life and history is this constant circle of renewal and recreation We understand that there's a beginning to history, there's a middle to history, and there's always and forever been an end to history. God said at the beginning, go and do your job, and one day man would be done his job. One day man would come to God and say, Lord, the whole earth has been dominated in the best sense of the word the whole earth has been filled there are cities upon the earth there's technology there's there's art and culture there's all of these lovely things lord there's nothing left for us to do that was the calling of man by God from the very beginning to fulfill the purpose and the potential for creation, to really to follow in the pattern and after the footsteps of his heavenly Father. Notice how in Genesis 1 we begin with this undifferentiated mass that the Holy Spirit is roosting upon like a chicken upon her eggs. He's, he's holding together this, this stuff, and it is out of that stuff that creation flows. And now God, having given the earth to man, given the stuff of this earth to man, he says to man, now go and use it. Use it. Make it better. Make it more beautiful. Make it more wonderful. Make it glorify my name. Now, of course, we know what happened. No, we decided not to do that. We thought that was not the way to go. Instead, we wanted to rebel against God, and that's why we have things like robber barons. That's why we have people that misuse the the, the wealth that they've been given, who misuse the resources that they've been given. That's why the world so often has suffered because of the foolishness of man's greed that's why the fish stocks collapsed on the east coast that's why we struggle with understanding how to best use the environment that God has given to us man's heart rebels against God he no longer looks at creation as serving God he sees it only as serving himself and that of course brought a curse upon the advancement of God's kingdom God's plan for this earth faces a significant hurdle with the fall of man into sin. God has a beginning, a middle, and an end to history. But man, it seems, has violated that. And it seems as though that violation will doom this earth to constant suffering and misery until the day that Jesus Christ appeared, of course. The story of creation has to be understood in the light of Christ's coming the purpose of this world cannot be understood apart from what Christ accomplished on the cross and in the empty tomb. Indeed, in Revelation 5, we read that, that John weeps because the scroll that has the beginning, the middle, and the end of history on it. John weeps because there's no one to do that. There's no one to advance the plan and purpose of this life. There's no one to do what God commanded this earth to do until there appears the lamb that, appear, that appears to have been slain, that is, until Jesus Christ ascends into heaven and then receives from His Father the scroll that He then begins immediately to implement. Jesus Christ has been given all authority over all of creation so that all of creation might now serve the Son of Man as the Son of Man serves His Father that's the glorious hope that we have that's why we can celebrate spring that's why we can celebrate the planting the ground bringing forth its bounty that's why we can celebrate new life like the life of amber that's why we can celebrate the pouring out of the holy spirit because all of these things speak to us of god's purpose and plan to restore all of life to restore all of creation, to restore all of society, to restore all of relationships, all of culture, that God is busy at work, that Jesus Christ sitting at his Father's right hand is busy at work, not just saving souls, though that is a great priority, undoubtedly for the Father. That's where it begins. But he's doing more than that. He's restoring families. He's restoring relationships. He's restoring culture. He's restoring government. He's restoring business. He's restoring everything. Because Jesus Christ rules all of creation, bringing it all into subjection under him that it might fulfill the plan of his heavenly Father. That plan that is a plan of restoration and praise. Now, all of this has, me, has profound significance for each one of us. This story of creation and view of the world, this way of seeing life, has profound significance for our existence. For example, and we could do this all day, we can apply this in so many ways, but it means you understand that above, or at least this, that we as creatures, as image bearers of God, as the redeemed of the Lord, we have a profound significance and privilege in this life. We are a people that have an opportunity in every area of life to advance the kingdom of God under the banner of Jesus Christ and to bring all of creation into service to him, It means that we go to work on Monday as Christians for a profoundly different reason than anyone else. The world goes to work to advance its kingdoms, to build its castles, to make its money, to advance its own good name. We ought to go to work on Monday. The reason we ought to go to work on Monday, in whatever work we do, in the office, in the classroom, on the job site, or on the farm, we ought to go to work because here we can advance the kingdom of God By bringing this portion of creation, this little piece that God has given to me, whatever that piece is, whether it's a physical piece, a literal piece of land, whether it is an idea, a theory, an educational concept, that this place where God has given me life and placed me to serve, I'm going to bring this, I'm going to plant the flag of Jesus Christ here and say, this place, this piece belongs to him. God made this world. He made it good. We're the ones who ruined it. But he redeemed it in Jesus Christ and therefore it is for us to use in service to him. Now this includes not just our businesses. This includes our bodies. This includes our food. This includes our enjoyment of a spring day. It includes work, art, politics, and philosophy. There is no place, no moment, no element of our lives where we don't have to say Jesus Christ is here King And I'm going to serve him here. Whatever that means. We haven't worked out what that means yet. What does it mean to be a Christian farmer? What does it mean to be a Christian teacher? What does it mean to be a Christian businessman? We haven't worked that out yet. Only to say that there, Christ commands you to serve him in your business. To be distinct from the world. To be unique in the way that you operate. You are there to advance his cause and his kingdom. Because he sits at his father's right hand. It also means, you understand, that we have a profoundly comforting future. That we are working for a future that is full of joy and hope and wonder and glory. Our lives are not this meaningless existence, this constant circling the drain. We too easily imagine that life has no meaning, no purpose. What's the point, we say? But we have the answer. And the answer is not heaven. We too easily settle for heaven. Heaven's a lovely place. It's going to be a wonderful place. We want to be there. But there are people in heaven right now who wish the Lord would finish his work, who say, Lord, enough. We want to go back to the earth. We want to be upon the face of the earth. We want our justice, our experience of blessing to be full." that's what God's doing God's not just redeeming our souls to dwell in disembodied existence in the clouds while we play harps God is redeeming our bodies so that we stand upon this earth with Job as he said in his in his in his book that he might stand upon the earth and see God with his own eyes his and not another's how his heart yearned within him our hearts ought to yearn within us as well because we live in a physical reality, we live in a tangible existence, and we ought to anticipate the restoration of all of that. Indeed, as we get older, I think we understand that more. As our bodies break down, as things don't go, as we bear the scars and wounds of this fallen world, there comes a point where we say, Lord, come quickly. Restore this earth to us. Indeed, it is in those moments of great sorrow that we find ourselves saying, God, When will you fix everything and wipe away all of our tears? The good news is he's going to do that. The good news is you're living a life that has a future that is glorious. But you also have to live in the present. And this word concerning the creation of our world also challenges us to live in the present according to the pattern of our faith. That means, you understand, that we are to resist the temptations of this world, to see life the way the world sees it. Among other things, that means that we must not objectify people. The reason we mention that is only because we live in such a perverse culture, filled with such immorality. There's such incredible misery that is being spewed into our hearts and minds through pornography and all of the sexual immorality of our age that teaches us to look at people as mere objects, as existing merely for the pleasure of our own sexuality. We have to see that that's not true. We have to teach ourselves, think to ourselves, renew our ideas concerning each other. We have to see that our employees are not there just to make us money. They are not tools that exist to bless us. That our our world is not a place that we can exploit in order to gain our advantage. That people do not exist merely as objects. To understand that God has made things the way he has made them, and especially man in his own image, means that we are to look at each other with respect and with dignity, treating each other as image bearers of God, as children of the Father, as redeemed sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. How do you like it if somebody treats your kid poorly on the bus or at school or at the job? We get angry. We say, wait a second, who, how dare you treat my child that way? Now imagine what you're doing to the children of God when you objectify them, when you mistreat them financially in your businesses, when you misuse the creation to advance your own kingdom. You are doing war with God Himself. We must refuse to objectify people as mere blessings for ourselves. And we must not sink into the materialism mentality that only really worries about the bottom line or the amount in our bank account or the boat or the truck that we drive or the vacations we go on. We have become far too materialistic as a congregation and community. We are competing far too much in terms of finances. We worry about what it looks like, what we have, what we don't have. Forget it you are dealing or thinking in a way that is a direct denial of the blessing you have in God in Jesus Christ. 10,000 years from now, we'll come back. Let's all covenant to come back to this very place 10,000 years from now. And which of us do you think is gonna come here saying, I wish I had more stuff when I was on the earth? We have everything we need. We have more than we need. The Lord feeds us. The Lord clothes us. The Lord cares for us. The Lord sustains us, heals us, and strengthens us. He guides and guards our footsteps so that the sun doesn't strike us by day or the moon by night. We live in the lap of our Father's care. We do not need to seek first the stuff of this earth where moth and rust destroy. We need only seek first the kingdom of God. That means that we ought to use what God's given us for his glory. To use what God's given us, the gifts and the blessings he's given them to us. We each have them. Some of us have gifts for making money. Some of us have gifts for growing things. Some of us have gifts for painting or producing art. Some of us have gifts of thought. Some of us have gifts of emotion, of empathy and compassion. We all have gifts that God has given us. His good creation that he's planted within us. We are to use these things to glorify his name. And we've only touched the surface here. We've only begun to scratch the surface of what it means when the confession says that these things have been created and sustained by God that they may serve man so that man may serve God. But it's a good way for us to think going into this week how it is that we're going to use what God's given us. Are you going to go to work this week? to serve God? Do you see your business as existing to serve you so that you can serve God? How is your business? How is your home? How is your studies, your education? How is what you're doing serving God? That's the question that we who are redeemed in Jesus Christ have to ask but it's not the only thing we have to ask in the light of this passage. We also want to very quickly think about the second part of this article that is maybe the more fascinating to us, the bit about the angels and the fallen demons and the like. There's a lot there too, a lot of lovely nuggets of gold that would be wonderful to just spend some time on. When did God create angels, for example? That's a question that tickles our brains every so often and and when did the devil and his hosts fall how did they fall how is it possible that a a a devil or that the devil should fall there's a lot of questions that we want to answer or ask in light of what the catechism or the confession here speaks but i want us to to again just focus our attention very particularly on one aspect of of this noting of course that 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 for guido de Brès, the the reality of angels was as real as cows and birds and grass and trees Uh, guido lived uh, in in what charles taylor a, a philosopher from montreal calls an enchanted world that is a world where there was a supernatural that was as very real as the natural world in which we live since that time our society and our culture has tried to deny that we don't want to believe there's a supernatural world but there is of course one and that world has as much of an impact upon our existence as this natural world does we may not understand how that happens or how that works but there you have it Think of Jacob as he lay his head by Bethel and the ladder up and down that came that he saw. Think of Job and the devil and the angels reporting to God the Father. Think of Michael. Think of Gabriel. Think of these names that we know that are related to the angels that that God sends to minister to his people. Think about Peter's guardian angel. Think about The many ways in which angels function in the history of redemption. Well, the confession helps us understand all of these things and their importance to us. Because it tells us that the angels who were created were created good. And that while some of them fell and make their purpose of life to trip up, to ruin, to harm the church of Jesus Christ. The good ones have stayed in the preserving care of God. And are used by God to protect and preserve His church. That's what the angels do, you understand. That's that's what angels were created to do. They were created, you might say, to be our guardians. We can speak, you understand, of guardian angels. Maybe not in the way that Hollywood or even our own imagination may understand it. But angels were created to serve God's people. Angels were created to serve the elect. Think of what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 verse 14. Think about what he says in Hebrews 13 verse 2 where he reminds us to be kind to guests who are in church because unwittingly some have entertained angels. There's a motivation for hospitality. Invite every stranger in church over. You might get yourself an angel. Because angels are sent by God for the purpose of encouraging, equipping, protecting, and preserving the church. They are not redeemed creatures. They are preserved. They are not creatures like us, made in the image of God. They don't have wings either, by the way. Not all of them, anyway. Most of them don't. They are servants sent by God to accomplish His will. And that ought to be for us as the church a profound encouragement as we serve. As we serve within a world that is foreign to us, a world that is against us, a world that is with devils filled, that threatens to undo us. The world is filled, isn't it, with things that are more than meet the eye. We don't always see the threats that that exist Around us, we don't see them maybe until the Lord gives us a child or maybe a grandchild if you're a little bit older. But then you see, don't you? You begin to see that the world is in fact full of threats and challenges and dangers and there are these concerns we have. Maybe as young people growing up when we're 14, 15, 16, maybe even when we're younger, we don't sit there pleading with God every night to protect and preserve our hearts and lives. We just go out and have fun. We just go out and enjoy our lives. But you know what dad and mom are doing when we're out having fun? They're laying in bed pleading in prayer on behalf of God for us because they know that this world is a place of danger for god's people that there is in this world much that seeks to harm us and lead us astray when we read books like c.s lewis's uh tape letters we find ourselves nodding in agreement a great deal and saying to ourselves boy this sounds very familiar this is something that seems very real And when we read our Bibles, we discover, don't we, that we are in fact engaged in pitched battle, that we are in a spiritual battle with forces arrayed against us, forces not of flesh flesh and blood, as the Apostle says to us. We read about how the devil goes about like a roaring lion. We read about how he was cast down by Michael out of heaven, and now he goes about seeking whom he may devour from those who follow Jesus Christ. The world may tell us that there is no such thing as the supernatural. The world may have diminished our appreciation of that reality to some degree so that we are left with just weird questions about angels and bizarre images that we see in front lawns and sometimes on pins and this sort of thing. But the truth is there is a supernatural reality. There is a spiritual realm, one hidden from view to us for the most part, but that is as influential and significant for us as is the natural world. And in that supernatural realm, there are many who hate us, who desire to condemn us, who seek to trip us up and to cause us to fall. And isn't it a comfort to know then that in this spiritual battle, we are, first of all, victors through Jesus Christ, being more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Isn't it good to know that in Jesus Christ we are safe and secure, that when we stand upon the rock that is higher than I, then we are not lost. We are firm and secure for all eternity. It is good to know that we have a champion and a Lord in this life who is greater than all that threatens us, that He who is with us is greater than He who is with the world but it's also good to know, isn't it, encouraging to know that our heavenly God and Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continue to minister to us in tangible ways. The Lord doesn't need angels to minister to us. The Lord didn't need to create angels to minister to us. He didn't do it for his sake. He is the sovereign God, the powerful and mighty Lord, but he did it for our sake that we might be encouraged, that we might know that there are those who minister to us, who care for us and lift us up, lest we dash our feet against the stones. This ought to give us, you understand, a sense of wonder of who our God is and an encouragement as we go out. Not a carelessness, not a carelessness, but an encouragement. Sometimes we can be careless in the providential care of God for His creation. Sometimes we can put ourselves in positions that are unwise and unhelpful. That's not what the Lord has blessed us with the angels for. He hasn't given us the angels that we might be careless in the ways, in the things that we do, in the places that we go, in the people we associate with, but rather that we might remain steadfast and focused and zealous for the Lord. The Lord has given us His Spirit that we might stay faithful, and his angels that we might be protected and preserved. This means you understand that as Christians, we ought to enter into this coming week in a very distinct way. We ought to see that all exists for the purpose of praising God, and that our purpose in life is to fight the good fight, is to do battle against the enemies, is to stand fast, being clothed in the armor of God. How often do we think about that armor? How often do we think about this spiritual battle that we're engaged in? That we are to put each piece on by prayer, remembering what God has done. When we go out into our daily life, we go out prepared to do battle with those who would do us harm. How often do we begin our day with the Lord? How often do we begin in prayer? How often do we begin in His Word? How often do we begin as we're driving to work thinking about what Jesus has done for us, reminding ourselves that we are unique, we are distinct, we are His children, and we are His beloved. And therefore we ought to live in the light of His grace and goodness in Jesus Christ. This is what the supernatural, the angels and the demons remind us of. They remind us that all things are to be used in service to Christ in the praise of His most holy name. And so in this way, the Belgic Confession, both in its treatment of creation and in its treatment of angels and demons, in its treatment of nature and its treatment of the supernatural, reminds us that all things exist to serve us, that we might serve God. That's how we ought to go about our lives. That's how we ought to see ourselves Especially on this day as we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Why has the Spirit been given to us? So that we can be happy? That's the mentality of our world. Our world desires happiness at its highest cost. We ought to be fulfilled. We ought to be content. How about this though? The Holy Spirit has been given to you that you might be more fully human. That you might be what God has made you to be. That you might be what God has redeemed you to be a more fully serving citizen of his kingdom, advancing his cause and doing battle with his enemies so that your life is devoted entirely to living for your king. The Holy Spirit has been given to us that we might be the people God made us and redeemed us to be. Let's live in the power of that grace. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit. We thank you that you have given to us life and life abundantly. We thank you that you continue to protect and preserve us in this life in the battle that we must wage each and every day. And we pray, Heavenly God and Father, that you would help us now to stand fast and to stand firm. Help us to do what is right in your sight and to use our time and our talents to the glory of your name, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Then our song of response,